You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and podcaster here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. Hope you're doing well. And there's like a saying that I added on during the pandemic, and we are officially done with that, by the way, which is crazy, um, according to the United States government. Um, but yeah, I hope you're staying safe and sane. That was the saying that I came up with. I hope you're staying safe and sane. And I still think it applies right now, even though we're not in a panorama, because we are still living on this spinning rock that is floating out in the stratosphere. What is life? I hope you're doing well. Um, what a way to start. Um, but yeah, it's been quite a week. Really happy to be back. Season four has kicked off. Thank you for the positive responses uh, to Gina's episode, How to Stop Seeking Outside Validation. Gina is so wonderful. I, I'm i just so thankful because if you guys didn't see, if you guys didn't listen to the first one, Gina unpacks a lot of like really personal things, which I was so honored to be on the receiving end of and like facilitating, if you will. But um, she opened up a lot more about her life after that and did a whole live stream about it. I just want to do shout out to Gina again for being such a beautiful, vulnerable guest and so inspired by her that that, you know, furthered her her own vulnerability and her openness about talking about the abuse that she went through and how she picked herself up and dealt with all of that and continues to deal with that because that narrative, that story is so relatable, so universal, so helpful to many people who can hear it from so many diverse voices and from diverse sources. And who knows like whose hero she is or Shiro, if you will, um, and how that impacts them to hear it from somebody that they really admire and are a fan of for XYZ reasons to like humanize them and know their story. The impact of that is is tremendous. And I've experienced that in so many other people that I've met as well. So I just want to give her a shout out and applaud her because that's a scary thing to do, especially when you spent your whole life like working yourself around that. And finally to be able to crack open and just let it out. It's 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 like a really uncomfortable but important part of healing. So kudos to Gina. And that definitely ties into what we are talking about today with our guest, an incredible woman, a wonderful author, mother, wife, Emily Inoue Huey, who has written a really great young adult book called Beneath the Wide Silk Sky. And um, the story is talking about, it's a very, per- uh, it's a fiction story, but it's a very personalized point of view story of a young Japanese American girl at the time of uh, Pearl Harbor. And what she's experiencing leading up to the incarceration of all the Japanese Americans during World War II. So the setting is very poignant, very meaningful, very important time. And the story is so like, so genuine and sweet and heart-wrenching. And it's just a great story. I mean, who doesn't love a good story? And Emily, in this conversation, I get to like find out about her and how and why she wrote this. Because the book itself is so touching and then what it is kind of shining light on, which is these narratives about Asian Americans, we are in Asian Heritage Month at the current time that this episode is being released, what the meaning and what 
what the impact of all of that is and how scary that can be and how important that can be to not have those things erased or have them owned and told by people who are not in any way related to or have any sort of genuine relationship to the source, right? These are narratives coming from the people and the descendants of the people who suffered through the incarceration of the camps. And there is a lot of controversy right now. And there has been, especially as we've gone into this whole world of diversity and who owns what narrative and who's telling the narrative, how to own our own narratives, how to share stories, how to be vulnerable, how to deal with risk and fear and just like straight up like the horrible discipline of having to like work hard at things. There's so many layers to what goes into creating a work of art or work that really makes a difference, right? So I was so excited to be connected to Emily and to read her book, an early edition, like before it was even published. And I have been really, really moved and genuinely like I'm still not even done unpacking it or processing it because now every time that I'm revisiting this story and this topic, it's now through a different lens. Like the fact that I finished this book right at the beginning of Asian Heritage Month has such a different meaning for me than if I finished it at any other time. And it's Asian Heritage Month in 2023, which is we've just been through this hellscape of like re-emerging racism towards Asian people. And this is a re-emerging thing. This is not a new racism, if you guys didn't know. Uh, I will link you guys to actually a really great voiceover project that I got to be part of on Asian American history. And I myself am learning about the ways that, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act and all the ways that history has played a part in how human beings, including specifically this subset of people, Asian Americans that we're talking about right now, have been like systematically marginalized, how they have been oppressed and how they have been picked out, pointed out and like excluded and had laws and which influence culture and culture influences laws, how those things have in in fact like really impacted our ancestors, our predecessors and thus trickled down into our our own like vision of ourselves, our own understanding of ourselves, the ways that we climb a certain ladder to achieve a certain type of success, to appease a certain type of person. There's so many layers to this. So not trying to necessarily turn this into a history lesson, but it is the relevance and the passion that I have and the annoyance that I have and the frustration and the pain that I have as an Asian American that sometimes gets really exhausting to have to think about and continuously learn about because it becomes this burden of like, okay, I have to keep learning about the plight of Asian Americans. Like, I just want to enjoy life. You know, can I have a matcha latte with having to think about how the matcha is, you know, a ceremonial tea of the Japanese people? And that was another thing that's been appropriated by, you know, horrific white culture, like stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just get into the weeds. Like, that's how I've also been living in a certain way. So it gets tiring, right? This is but this is the existence and it it's part of my reason to have this show and have these guests is to air that out, to put that out there, to share not only my story, my point of view, but definitely all these other people who are doing their work whether it's internal, external and both. Um and putting works of art, putting in hours and time and energy to hopefully making the world a bit more equitable, more respectful, more compassionate, 
and more healing for like mass amounts of people who have generational trauma and have so much baggage from all of these hurts and wounds that have not been talked about or processed. That's like part of why this podcast exists. So I'm really excited to share this conversation, to talk about owning our narratives and you know, just getting to know Emily, because I do think that stories like hers, books like hers, works like hers that are published, that are shared with all all different kinds of people, not just Asian Americans, but people who can dive into a story about a young girl and come out on the other side, having a little bit more understanding and empathy for somebody that is completely different from them and is discovering that they are just the same as them. That's a really, really powerful thing. So this is a very long intro, but It's something that I care really deeply about. I'm learning every step of the way, every episode of this freaking podcast, how to own my own narrative, how to own my voice, how to stop being so scared of what people are going to think of me, how this is going to impact my image or my future work or blah, blah, blah. So many different things that I've been working on breaking through every single episode. I kid you not. That is not me being a drama queen. That is me being 100% real. I have obsessed and toiled over how to even exist on this podcast with you guys. So this is something that means a lot to me. And I hope that you guys will get something really, really enriching out of it. Simply to know about the story of a Japanese-American author who lives out in Utah and is doing amazing things, raising a family and taking her life's stories, her great-grandparents, her grandparents, her parents' story, and really... Find a way to honor that in a beautiful way through a book that we can all, you know, get to experience together. So just to recap, Emily Inoue Huey, is a, she's a writer. She writes historical fiction for children and teens. And this is about uh, the impetus for this conversation is her first novel, Beneath the Wide Silk Sky. And it's the story of a Japanese-American teen photographer who documents the lead up to the Japanese-American incarceration. She is a wonderful human being. I enjoy this so much. I hope that you guys too. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily. Enjoy. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting the teeth on the move. Nobody's filling these shoes. Welcome to First of All, Emily. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining all the way from Utah. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's your spring treating you so far? It's good. Like, um, yesterday I actually went skiing we still have tons of snow it's it's great but then down in the valley it's nice and warm so it's it's kind in of perfect May? right now is that, well yeah. no you know, it is it's it's like a record snow year so totally it's a true. lot later than usual yeah we're so, still i'm in great. la and we're freaking out about all the rain like as, do you I'm have, sure do you have flooding heard. oh yeah like this, yeah, yeah we're not we're not set up for that so we're still it's a little chaotic so. <laughs> there's a lot of flooding here too yeah so. yeah um well yeah. really glad to connect with you I am just so excited to talk to you about you and your book I'm still moved by it I recently finished it so full disclosure I'm as honest as I can be I've been working my way through this book um, because a it takes me a long time to finish anything shows movies I I piecemeal things but I want to say with your book I was genuinely just so it's so fitting right now that I finished it in May because we're at Asian Heritage Month. Yeah. Um, that's when we're recording mm-hmm. this. And I actually just got back from the White House today and got to kind of be really immersed in being proud of our roots and mm-hmm. where we come from. And not just that, but like the politics of that too, right? Like the mm-hmm. layered of 
the experience, but also like the world that we've been living in and the truth of that. So like, I'm just so thrilled that you're here to talk about your book and like share your journey because this is a really meaningful story on top of the fact that it's beautifully written. And I love me some great writing. I love books. Um, it's just, it's so meaningful. Like right now. So I just want to start off with that. Well, thank you. That's so, so kind of you. Thanks for taking the time to read it. It's like a friend letting you ramble at them for two hours about something you care about, you know? So thanks for reading it. Really oh, my it. pleasure. No, no. It's like poetry. Um, can you, I mean, I would love to just talk about the book and like, just work our way through like how you created it. Um, how do you, what is your, your elevator pitch when you explain, explain this like beautiful piece of art that I you am created? the worst. At <laughs> I'm sure you're not as bad as you think because everybody says that and then they speak and it's super oh, eloquent and I'm sure you're fine. Um, I think it's pitched as something like a 16 year old Japanese Americans uh, photographer um, using her passion for photography to document the things happening to her during the time between Pearl Harbor and when they get sent to incarceration sites. So um, that's, I think, the kind of official elevator pitch. Yeah. It's Super still so succinct. uncomfortable. No, you're good. This can all be practiced. This is a safe space. And everybody just gets to, like, do their spiel. Um, where where did the genesis of it come from? Like, I'm, I, I love origin stories. Like, I... I love to get to see the art, experience the art, but I'm really, really sometimes way more fascinated about the creation process of it. So if you're you're an artist too, right? And are you a writer too? I'm a fledgling writer. That's the weird thing. Like I didn't call myself that for years upon years, but like I've been writing since I was a kid. Yeah. But then, yeah, I'm taking more seriously recently. Yeah. It's so hard to like, (laughs) I don't know, just own those labels. You, I don't know. No one feels that way about saying like they're a runner. You're like, if you run, you run, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's mm-hmm. hard with the creative side. It's that whole imposter syndrome, I think. Oh, which is a very yeah. common theme here. And I'm happy to like you. <laughs> we can talk our way through anything. <laughs> like, I'm here for you. I'm Therapy just want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I don't know that I set out to write a book initially. I think I just was so th- I think this is pretty common to all Japanese American families. I'm sure there are some that aren't like this but for most Japanese American families with family who were incarcerated most of those families there was kind of a silence around the topic for decades you know that's it's it's almost it's almost a universal and then at some point you know I remember finding out that my grandparents I think it was their 50th anniversary they were talking about how they met in what they called at the time camp and they talked about how all they could do for dates was to walk around the barbed wire you know inside the barbed wire um, over and over again and my grandma would just laugh and be like oh your grandpa is such a fast walker you know and and, oh and, and she'd laugh about these things. She'd laugh about, the, you know, she'd tell us the funny stories. Yeah. Um, but I was in, I think I was in like third grade or something when she told me that story. And I remember sitting there and just listening and being like, my grandma lived in a prison camp and like not knowing how to process that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as I got older, I started asking questions and asking, I asked them if I could do an interview just because I wanted to, um, I think it was like a school project or something wanted to know that story. Yeah. And so I think initially it just started with wanting to know the story of like of our family but also you know as a kid I li- I grew up in Provo, Utah which I think at the time I lived there was 90% white and I was I I I knew I looked different than the kids around me and 
wondered, you know, what I had this sense that there was something had happened that was like a major shift in our family story. Mm. And I wanted to know about that, both wanting to know my grandparents' story, but also wanting to know my own, you know, where I came from. And so I think that's where it started. And then I think maybe things happened and I had things to say. Um, This is, this is like much, much later. Mm. Um, And instead of getting on Facebook and, um, you know, writing about it there, I would go to my little notebook (laughs) and work on this little story that I didn't know if I'd ever, if anyone would ever see. But Mm. I think that's kind of um, when it started to become an actual novel. um, Wow. Was much, much, much later. How long ago was that from now? Like when you actually began when the I novel started? Yeah. Oh, you know, long, long time. Like I'm talking mm, at least a decade ago. And I, so I started a novel. That, so I started a novel. I went and did my MFA in writing. And then when I graduated, I had a baby, like almost immediately after I graduated and had four kids. And I just kind of put it to the side. I, I, never stopped writing like I always kept writing but not maybe towards finishing a novel not towards publication that wasn't I wasn't I don't know I wasn't in that space I think um so much of my energy was in this new phase and so I was writing a lot of things that were for me and for my family and maybe not so much for the outside world but um yeah. Then I came back to it um, after my last was born. I came back to it, finished it, and held on to it for quite a while, even after I finished it. And then yeah. finally was like, okay, maybe I do want to see if I can do something with this and send it out to agents and stuff. That's amazing. So. I love that. And I, I really respect your respect of the process. I sometimes <laughs> like, I get a little eye rolly when we use these terms, which depending on who's saying it and what context, you know, it's totally a great term, the process, but sometimes it gets a little, you know, like it's the process, but it's real. Like (laughs) having a way to express yourself and what the intentions are behind it and then how it's done. It varies so much from person to person, right? There are people who set out, I'm going to write the next great American novel. And that's an amazing intention. And who knows what the result of that is. And then some people just want to write because they're really commemorating something incredibly hard and beautiful and tragic and important for just the commemoration sake. And like, that's very personal. Mm -hmm. And so they can all kind of result in that. Those are many different processes resulting in a novel, but I just respect that you were very, what's the word? Like there's so much integrity in your process. You were not pushing it like, okay, this is going to, you know, and I, I don't know. It's just part of our generation of everything is kind of created to be commercialized too. Oh yeah. In yeah, my yeah. Opinion. Mm-hmm. And I really, I just really admire and respect that. Like you're writing this just for you yeah. and for your family. And like, to me, I'll say like, I'll, I'll keep hyping your book, book up because it reads that way. Oh, it's, well, not thank a, you. it's not a boisterous, like, let me, you know, tell you that no it's like this is just an honoring of it i don't know how it's like that oh, well thank you thank you I, you know i i i recognize that i you know it it's a place of privilege to be able to take the time to work on something without financial you know 
support from that. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like I was it was a time when no one was no one but me cared if I ever finished this book. You know, no one, yeah. no one knew about it. No one um, there was no pressure in that way. Um, but also, that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, their livelihood depends on if they, you know, right now, especially we're talking about this a lot right now, right? Their livelihood yeah. depends on getting paid for what they write. And so yeah. um, it's, it's a different kind of process when that's on the line. And absolutely. Uh, so hard. So hard. I love, I can't respect that. You can, there's, there's, uh, we're actually, so the timing of this, because we, we publish episodes at different times right oh, now, we're in the yeah. middle of the WGA strike, which I really back. Um, yeah, I've absolutely. dipped my toes into the writer's universe. My first short films coming out this week. And like, I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it's very surreal. Like, I don't think it's fully registered. It's just like a fun project I did with my friends. It's not like a film, like, you know, that's oh. how I think. I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk for sure. Um, and in doing that, like I just fully immerse myself every week. I'm like around writers. Um, we have a we have a group called Deadline Junkies. Shout out to the to the DJs Monday nights. Um, but we like every week two writers put up three thirty pages that they're working on, and that could be a TV show, a film, a play, like whatever they're working. They get actors to read it out loud so that they can hear it. We can give feedback. It's a very like arduous process. And it's very like through that, I've really just begun to learn and truly further respect the writing process. Like, oh, oh my gosh, it is so like, you can't force that. Like, how do you, how do you force inspiration? How do you like objectify truth and like how do you (laughs) yeah it is it is such a there is so much that's not in your control yeah and I mean I think what's in your control is like continuing to put work out you know yeah um the more work you put out though like the more you're primed sort of you know like primed to yeah put something good out but then you also have enough out there that you can like maybe trash the stuff that you don't want anyone to ever see oh yeah that's totally true it's just build a body of work so that it just gets yeah. lost in the ocean so it's just, oh, yeah, well you just say okay that's terrible don't publish that one but i have yeah anyway. yeah. yeah 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 i love that body of work what okay so then but you got your mfa in writing then so you're working on this like personal project in your in your free time not knowing what the outcome is going to be well, but like I, during my mfa i actually did work on this project oh, okay, I, okay and that was like the one period of time where i had deadlines and i had to I had to produce, but by the time I finished my MFA, I probably had like, um, a hundred pages or something. It wasn't a full novel at all. Got and, it. um, of that only some of it survived, you know, when I came back to it, like, you know, I probably took a break of like, Oh, like ha- five years or something before I came back. And by the time I came back, I had different things I cared about. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I can see where different parts of this came from like a different part of my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, it changed quite a bit. Um, I don't think she was even a photographer when I was working on my MFA, which is like kind of a major part of the plot. So yeah, that is it. I I was going to, that's like the, well, like the inciting incident and the, the objective of the protagonist (laughs) has a lot to do with her photography. That's, that's wild. What do you do with your, um, just curious, what do you do with all the bits that you like end up on the cutting room floor? Do you save all of it? Yeah. So, so far I'm like such a hoarder. So far I have like a box, I have like file boxes. There's uh-huh. a little part of me that's like, you know, now that it's, now that it's published, like yeah. I, I saved that because I was like, oh, I might need that. You know, I might need to go back to it or whatever. And this is when I was still like printing everything out. I'm actually still 
really old school that way. I, I write everything by hand first before I ever even That's type so it up. amazing. That's but, so um, amazing. Well, I, it's just, you know, everyone has their way. But um, yeah, now I'm like, maybe I should throw that away. I don't really ever want anyone to read that. You know? but I haven't yet, mostly because I'm just not that good at going through my stuff. But yeah. Well, this is spring, and so we're in this whole streak of know, spring cleaning, at least in this household. And uh, there's a lot changing, so I've been throwing things out left and right. Things that I thought I would never throw away. And it's kind of you just arrive when you arrive, and you're like, okay, I'm actually ready to let this go. Time. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, wow. no. Yeah, I, I, um, we've been going through, like, my mom's house, and, you know, my, da- my dad's passed away, and, like, through his mm-hmm. things. And it's it takes, it takes time. It yeah. just takes time to be ready to move on and... Um, put some of those things away that you know you hold on to for sentimental reasons absolutely much like even the creation of the book I think it applies both there's like a time for it to be let go and there's it takes time for something to gestate and be birthed and that's actually something that I'm very big into kind of like the laws of the universe and things arriving when you're ready and I've been blown away by how many things I've I keep getting reminded about how impatient I am (laughs) (laughs) and um that's why i think i go back to that term when we're saying the process like trust the process i i have struggled in the past really hard with that to just say oh it's not ready right now it doesn't mean it's not going to be ready you just gotta Mm. like believe i'm on to something i'm just gonna keep tinkering with it and putting my energy and time and eventually i trust it will be something and if it's something that the whole world gets experienced great if it doesn't it's not but like trust the process and that's and the process is kind of the point yeah in in a certain way like obviously that is again you know if there's a privilege to being able to even say that but like yeah it is i think it is important for all of us to just i think i think everyone needs a creative something in their life um i think it's part of being human you know um but yeah yeah. How would you describe yourself as an artist then? Like now that we're, t- I love that we, I go, I go very deep and me- and metaphorical, and everyone who listens to the show knows this. So I get like <laughs> awesome. that even with real estate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you like as a writer, I just feel like for me, the writers that I've met, I'm just first of all, I love the same. First of all, like thirty minutes in, um, writers <laughs> are some of my favoriteest people. That's not even a grammatically correct. I don't, I don't care. Some of my favorite people on the planet because. I've been around a lot of different types of creatives, a lot of actors, a lot of singers, songwriters, dancers, and I love, I have so much love for all creatives. Writers though, a lot of them can be highly introverted, but their minds are just like treasure troves of (laughs) imagination and wit and humor. And like, you just can't tell because they, it's a lot, not all, not exclusively, but a lot of writers are very introverted they they don't yeah. it doesn't shine until like you you see it on the paper you're like what is this so yeah i've been blown away i've been blown mm-hmm. away and i'm curious like how do you describe yourself as as the artist or like how do you honor that or how would you explain that mm-hmm. what made you do the mfa like that's so i've cool. never even asked i've never thought about this at all um <laughs> that's why i'm here <laughs> <laughs> it's good self-discovery the mfa well that's such that's such an interesting thing because like you know i grew up in um, I grew up in a home where I don't know. Well, my dad actually, um, he's Japanese. I don't know. I've said that already. He's Japanese. And he like suggested, you know, I bet you would love writing for children when I was like a kid, like long, long time ago, like maybe Whoa. eight years old or something. And then I loved reading and I loved, you know, writing, creating, drawing, everything. I loved all, I'm very much that side of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I got this idea that only certain people were like ordained to be writers or mm. creatives. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you come across that too? Totally. And so I remember I wanted so badly. There was a creative writing teacher at my high school and everyone said our class was so great. And I wanted to take her class every semester. And I never did because I just thought that wasn't like for me. I don't know. I, it's really sad now. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. That breaks my heart. Yeah. Really. Like you should have been there. <laughs> but, um, and so I think like there was just some part of me that always wanted to do it. I think I was a reader and I wanted to write. Um, but anyway, I, I think I had already like, I, I got accepted to law school. I was on my last semester of college and I was like, it's my last semester. I'm going to take this creative writing class. And I, um, took it. I was terrible. I was terrible. And I loved it. I Uh, loved it. You know? And I like, I was aware I was terrible. (laughs) I just, I could see that I was like trying to copy all these other people and I was just terrible. (laughs) But, But anyway, there was like some part of me that was like, I love this, but I still didn't like think, Oh, I'm going to go into this. I'm going to pursue this. I think, um, you know, I, I went to like one day of law school and I was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I just <laughs> no, I'm not supposed to be here. So like I went back, I became an English teacher. And during those classes I was taking, during the time I was like doing my training to be an English teacher, I took these creative writing classes and I was like, you know, it's kind of in the same field. Um, and I just really loved it. And um, kind of, it was kind of an indulgence when I decided to do my MFA. It was like, I'm going to go do this thing I really want to do. You know, like <laughs> sharing for that decision. <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was it was a great program. And I worked with authors that um my professor authors that I just anyway, I'm really, really grateful for that experience. So that's yeah. so cool. And good on you. I <laughs> I have so much um the thing that I, I think I like uh, crave to know about people's especially the origin stories and like how they came to be with those inflection points of like where I mean this is dramatic this is like I'm into film and the the story right yeah it's like where all hope seems lost or like where's the turning point of like okay I can't do this I'm all the self-limiting beliefs or like what whether it's internal external or a mix of both usually is it's like I can't I can't and like yes you can and then you're like I'm gonna I will yeah and then you go that's what yeah that's what we we read for what we watch films for. Yeah. I, I find myself even like when I'm listening to like, I, I grew up playing the violin. And when I go to concerts, I'm like, I want a story. I want there to be a story in this. You know, like, I don't know. Like you just, I don't know. Story is what makes people, some people tick. So, Absolutely. Can yeah. I know like some of your favorite books or like what were books that mm. set you off when you're either young or older? I don't know. Not so let's old, see. Older. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, let's see. I something I really love. I I grew up with my mom was like kind of um, strict. Okay, she wasn't kind of strict. She was very strict, and um, and you know, and a lovely person too. Um, and uh, she she had this rule for me that like for every I was really into the Babysitters Club and Sweet Valley Twins. Yes! Do you remember them? <laughs> Everyone yeah. I read. Yes. Everyone. <laughs> and she was like, for every one that I read of those, I had to read three books off a list that she made of like classics 
like Newbery Honors, um, books that she just considered important. And I would say now I look back at those books and they're like books that have stayed with me like forever. You know, like um, I really love Catherine Patterson. Okay. So that's Bridge to Terabithia, those kind of books. Um, Lois Lowry, really loved her. Um, Something I read more like really recently was, um, do you know Linda Sue Park? I don't. Wait, why does that sound familiar? She's she's kind of a... She's a Korean author, kind of famous in the children's book world. Okay. And she um, she recently wrote a book called, I think it's been a couple of years now, called Prairie Lotus. But it was so interesting because it's the story of a Korean Chinese character. Half, I think she's half, she, think people think she's half Chinese, but she's ethnically Korean. Anyway, mm. it's, it's a story that's never, it, but it's like in the time of like Little House on the Prairie. And it's just... It's this book that kind of fills in this gap. It's like we, no one's like seen that on TV yet. Yeah, Prairie Lotus. Prairie Lotus. It's really good. Anyway, Very evocative. Um, yeah. So I don't know um, those kind of books. I really like historical fiction. Ruta yeah. Cepedis, um, Sharon Cameron. Those kind of books. Uh, I feel like I need to uh, ask you if you'll be so kind to make like a list of authors that I should because sure, there's some yeah. parts of me that I believe that were. I'll share an insecure. I never thought I would share this, but like, um, here we are. Cause I'm talking to an author and the, <laughs> so of course it's coming out. I think I had less interest in books that were categorically, you know, like these are, these are highbrow fiction, even at a young mm-hmm. age. Right. Mm-hmm. So say, yeah. for example, I was really into, um, Babysitter's Club. I that book, I'm sorry. I, if I have children, I will love for them to. It introduced me to entrepreneurship. It taught me about yeah. female friendships. It taught me they about. So good. And it gave the narrative from every single one of them, this ensemble cast, if you will, like from all of their different points of view, all of their different family lives, all of their different health issues. I still remember yeah. that Stacy has diabetes. Like, and that's how I learned yeah. about type 1 diabetes, that she has to do insulin shots. I learned well, that when for- for me, it was the first time I saw an Asian character who was oh, like, yeah. Yeah. yes, it was, I, yeah, it was really important for me at that time. Yeah. Which is everything and her, you know, tough relationship with Janine with her. See, so yeah, I remember all of it. <laughs> all of it. Candy. Yeah, they're real to this. Yeah. They're like and like, because that was my thing, you know, and Beverly Cleary was a big favorite of mine. And like, um, still to this day, I think Roald Dahl is one of the best authors on the planet. He has like such a unique voice. It's just... It's- it's pitch perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that, I think, you know, there's like books like um The Giver and like these mm-hmm. like really like beautiful, kind of revered and respected mm-hmm. novels mm-hmm. that were not necessarily my first grab. And it's not the thing that I got particularly excited about. It's the thing that you're like assigned, and it's not you're gonna when you read it, you're like, oh wow, this is really like a powerful novel, but it wasn't my go-to. Yeah. I think I kind of well, look Deep at the down. cover of The Giver. It's I like know. an old man. That I was, know. That was hard. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love The Giver. But it was, you know, marketing-wise, I'm like, they wouldn't do that today, I don't think. I exactly. Think do exactly. It'd be, it'll be yeah. really different. I mean, look at the art. The artwork now is insane. And that's yeah. something that I think is great for readers now. There's such a different way to absorb a book or mm-hmm. be drawn to it, including the artwork. But I think that just made me feel like, I'm in a different category of readers or like the kinds of stuff that I'm into. And I didn't think you that felt I was that stupid. as a child, even you felt yeah, like, oh, because you like, like the stuff, huh. even in scholastic news, did you, did you have that at school where you get yeah. like, 
You yeah. order. I was so yeah. excited to order it, and I was excited to order my babysitter's club, which I did. I bought that stuff in addition to borrowing from the library. Uh-huh. But I think I had a certain identity thing with like, mm. I'm not a book nerd, but I am because I read a lot. But I think the kinds of books that I was drawn to, the kinds of stories that excited me, didn't make me feel like super intellectual, I guess. And like, uh-huh. I could tell that there were like these like highbrow more type books that were not my jam at the time. And I think that's what my mom was worried about. Is like, she oh. really, she really had this hierarchy in her mind. I think that's changing. I don't know. I feel like, um, I really think that it's important for kids to read books that they want to read, you know, and, and to maybe decenter that idea of what is, um, worthy of study you know like why isn't something like this you know worthy of i don't know i think i feel like that is changing though and it, there's a shift in how we look at especially children's books um yeah. i don't think people um maybe analyze it the same way with adult books but i think with children's books we are looking a lot more at like well you can read something humorous and mm-hmm. it can be totally it can it can be worth literary study and be humorous at the same time. And, but I don't know. I think we all, I think that's the point of having lots of different books is there are someone out there who needs that kind of book. And yeah. when we start banning some books that leaves certain kids out, you know, and um, totally. not that they would ban the babysitter's club. Well, I bet who someone knows? has. I bet someone has. I bet it's happened. But There's um, a committee out there, yeah. somebody who has a yeah. very big vendetta against women empowerment. I don't know. God forbid that there's, you know, that's, and I was, I was curious when that would come up because it's a burning question. It's something that I've been studying from the university of TikTok. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Where I get all of my uh, (laughs) most reliable (laughs) information. (laughs) Oh dear. But uh, there's some good stuff. I defend TikTok a lot to people because I love my algorithm. Like I just, I get to learn a lot. Um, well, and it, and it, it reaches people who wouldn't be like, yeah, reading a New York Times article about it or something. Sometimes, you know. And I like. I think exactly what Not you said. Not saying that you wouldn't. Oh Not yeah, yeah. No, and I do read the New York Times, <laughs> but there's times where this is this is, and this is, I think the the interesting. I don't want to call it a conundrum. I just feel like this is where we're at as a society. We get information from a lot of different sources mm-hmm. in a lot of different formats, and like. Yeah. Sometimes, and this may be a problem, but I don't have the time or energy to sit through a really dense, lengthy five-page article, though that would benefit me. I'm not, like, denying Mm -hmm. that. If it could be distilled down to, like, a two-minute video that I can... Which, But then it's bad if that's all that I watch. But, like, do you know what I mean? No, but I think that's, like, it's a really... um, It has so much power to reach so many people. And I know, like, today even, I saw this little video on Instagram about the writer's strike and Mm -hmm. I was like I want to know more about this thing Mm -hmm. and so I went and I read a whole article about it so you like it's an introduction and then you can decide which things you want to go research more and everything's available now there's so much information available now right so and then people are trying to categorically say like oh that's bad information I mean if it's false information disinformation like misinformation is awful like that is something that's the new challenge of our yeah. From now on, I think, really. Um, and it's also, and like, in addition to that, but like coexisting with that is that we have this wealth of information. It does allow more 
curiosity to things Mm -hmm. that like, I just didn't know that I didn't know this. And so now that I know, oh my gosh, I can go like look into it. I can go read Mm -hmm. this book. I love book talk. And so Mm -hmm. book talk is what brought me to understand that there's all these bands going on also converging with the fact that I am interested in politics, you know, for better or worse, it gives me migraines all the time, but like, (laughs) It's all of us, all of it, right? It's culture merging with politics in our daily, what happens in our daily lives. So like, yeah, I was really curious when we would talk about the banning of the books, because especially because you've written this wonderful book that is geared towards young people. And that's really what's being, I don't even, I don't know what the word is, but I feel like they're just, it's, it's partial. There's so many things in politics that make me so angry that they're just, they're marketing it as like, oh, it's about the children when it's not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. a different agenda. It's a culture war. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that makes me really like, I, I start just, my brain hurts because I was like, if you're going to be about the kids, then be about it. Don't use that. Especially that's such a low blow to like, say it's about the kids, especially when it comes to like guns and all these things. And it's not about that at all. That they, yeah. we, we're not stupid. We can see it. But anyway, thank you for coming to my rant. Um, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. curious, like, how what your thoughts are on that whole on on censoring on yeah banning. on the censoring and the banning I mean it's I'm oh, I'm already getting so bad. it is I mean it's it's absolutely like at the forefront I think of everything going on in publishing I mean so far I think publishers are still publishing the books they want to publish mm-hmm. um, well I mean and I'm sure have you I'm sure you've heard about Maggie Tokuda Hall who, I have, have not. You heard, oh have you not oh okay. so there was a there was a book that was going to be included in a, I think it's a collection of AAPI voices um, uh, for Scholastic, for like their educational division. Wow. And there, there's a book, a picture book called um, Love in the Library. Um, and in it, she had this author's note where she talks about how the things that happened back then happen now. Racism exists still. And she uses the word racism. She um, she's pretty pointed. Mm-hmm. And for this collection, they wanted to um, censor some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it, it kind of blew up in the publishing world. Um, she she wrote a blog post about it. She decided not to take the offer to have her book included, which is it's a big deal to have your book included in a collection like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so um, anyway, it kind of you know blew up this conversation about are our publishers going to start censoring in the same way that um you know to 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 accommodate the feelings of these people who are threatened by these things that you know like racism is real but yeah if people are uncomfortable with that if that makes it so that you cancel this collection in Florida do publishers start to um and that, and that's the big question do publishers start to um in the words of one author carry water for the book banners and um and so those things are happening right now. They're very, very, um, they're very, very much on everyone's minds. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'll be honest when I, when I decided to publish this book, I, um, I was a little bit scared. I mean, it was for me speaking to things that maybe I wouldn't just say to someone on the street, you know, um, and in fact would be afraid of some people's reactions. Um, mm-hmm. And I've and now that it's published and I've 
had conversations with people. There are people who have said the very things I was like sort of dreading people saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but um, to your but face mostly, or like in what? what? Uh, mostly to my face, actually. Yeah. Um, wow. I just, you know, just like, I, I'm sure there are worse things I'm afraid of too than the things that have been said to me. But, you know, I've had people, you know, I'll, I'll go do a book talk at a school and um, some kid will come up after and be like, well, they had to put them in, in these prison camps. Otherwise they would have, you know, and you, you know, that comes from a place of fear and maybe what he's hearing at home and stuff. Oh, and, for sure. <laughs> and, and, but you realize, you know, you can only do what you can do. You can put this out there. And then some people like, you know, will respond and some people, uh, it's hard to get through to some people, you know, they've already decided where they stand on certain things. And I don't think that's true of this little, little, he's, he's a teenager, but this okay. boy, you know, like I, um, I think he, he's still open to lots of conversations, but yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had certain people say things like, um, I don't want to get into this too much. It's such a dark topic, but like, I'm, you know, I'm fine with it. You don't have this again. Safe space, so if you don't want to, I'm not. No, pushing. no, it's no, it's just, you know, I've had people who their reaction has been, you know, something like, well, it's important to remember that they they were justified in doing this. I've had, I've had people say that to me and that's like, that's the conversation I didn't really want to have. You know, I didn't really want to um, put my family's story out on the line and then have to yeah. Um, hear those things, but I've, I've, I've done it now. It's happened now. Yeah. And, and I've learned that it's, you know, I can, I can bear it and move forward and have that conversation if I have to. So look at you. No, <laughs> I, am, I am on so many different levels. I'm like, like there, everything that I care to write about. I mean, just besides my, whatever, like besides me, the fact that somebody is facing a fear like that and dealing because people can talk theoretically to no end about all the things. Most people will not ever experience the things that they theorize about. You had a ther theoretical fear, you faced it and you felt with the literal <laughs> fear because it faced you in the face and said it to your, not that many people confront that for a lot yeah. of different reasons. And so hats off to you. I truly respect oh, well, thank you. you. <laughs> and didn't mean to go so dark. <laughs> no, it's Ellie. I invite the truth, and like this is why I wanted to have. And I'll tell you, even with um, this show, this podcast, I've flinched on so many different topics. There's still stuff mm. I haven't even talked about. That yeah, I'm, you you put yourself and you do it all like um, right away. Like it's all immediate. Like I type my stuff up, and then I think about whether I want to put it out in the world, and I revise it, and then I, you know, it's. It must be so much more immediate to just have it and record it and put it well, out. Well, one might quickly. call you more wise than I am. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's I my, was brave. That's, that's brave. My, my family's my family's issues. Like, oh God, she's gonna like. <laughs> so that's the story of my life. Is like she responds or reacts, whichever word you want to use. Um, yeah, better or worse, it's taught me a lot. Uh, oh, that's brave. And then cool. in the in the writing too, which I think, you know, I think there's ways that we all kind of try to stay small and it's a lot for safety and protection. It's not for, I mean, it's layered with different things like shame and like many, 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 many things. I think the fear part comes from a very genuine, true, like inarguable place of protection. Like I don't want to be putting myself in harm's way and you are not naive. You know, like there is harm to be faced. Right. And mm -hmm there is a risk involved. And 
I'm saying this is where like I get very heated sometimes. Like I'm exhausted from all of the ways that I've had to protect myself as mm-hmm. a woman. And uh, I'm not saying 100%. that men don't experience danger. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the type of exhaustion is a very mental, emotional, and physical. All the many, many things that I've had to maneuver through this life to keep myself safe. Why go that extra step to like say the truth about that I know about a lot of things, but that will further invite potentially and, you know, mm-hmm. invite scrutiny, criticism, mm-hmm. someone coming to your face and like verbally, what I want to use yeah. this word, but like attacking you, internet trolls, like whatever, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Why would I do that? Like what same person? And then, then there's the the other part of it, which is like, well, what's at stake if you don't say, say what you need to say. Right. And then what's lost because you're not, you're not going to take that risk. And those are hard things. So what's lost for the world, but also what part of yourself are you losing? Like, I think, I think, you know, a lot of women, we, we accommodate it to the point where, and, and men too, but we accommodate to the point where we, aren't who we really are. Does that make sense? What I'm mm-hmm. trying to say? And I think, I feel yeah. like, I feel like that's also part of sometimes, um, my Asian side too. Like I, I feel that, um, pressure. Um, I don't know from, from the culture, from, mm-hmm. from like the maybe kind of patriarchal culture and, um, yeah. And, and you lose, you lose who you really are. So. It's hard. Then how do you even know who you really are? If you're never, if the, uh, Michelle Obama, put something up on TikTok. She didn't put it up on TikTok. Someone put it up of Michelle Obama <laughs> on TikTok. But she was saying life is about practice and whatever it is that you're practicing is what you are. Like if you're practicing complaining all the time, you're a complainer. Like that's what you practice all the time. And if you yeah. practice being positive or being healthy, like life is practice, right? So yeah. if you're practicing masking and if you're practicing accommodating yeah. with, this, with the cost of that being yourself and like yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I'm actually learning a lot of ways that I have been betraying myself for the sake of X, Y, or Z. At the time, again, being young and not knowing better, yeah. Yeah. I really thought it was for the best. And yeah. then, and then, but like also looking at the result, now I'm also a very cautious, sometimes overly cautious and overly resentful person because I'm just sick of accommodating. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, you don't, there's a fear of going back to that, you know, yeah. like a, like if you've already experienced it, that's, you know, that's, I mean, I think, you know, and I said that a lot of Japanese Americans were silent about what happened for years. I think yeah. it was almost like a whole group that went through this thing where they, um, you know, I think it was for a lot of different reasons. I was, I think it was partly so they didn't like shift that burden to their children. Mm-hmm. I think it was partly because they wanted to fit in so that they could maybe move forward. I think there was also an idea that like they were trying to prove themselves as Americans, but that for whatever reasons, they like, didn't speak about it for years, but that's not like now we talk about mental health so much more and about Mm -hmm. how you have to like talk about it to like process it. And yeah, you know, with a trauma, you know, to, um, to deal with your trauma and that that really didn't happen, you know, for decades. And then slow, I think the whole, the whole Japanese American community started to talk about it and started to, um, kind of came out of that and I think are in that moment of reclaiming like their story, their ability to speak out, all those kind of things. I think we're we're in that time currently. I don't know. You're part of it. And and that's yeah. why I applaud you. And I think you're you're exactly right. Like we are in this 
open just dialogue so much more, I think, as a direct consequence and result mm-hmm. of all of this suppression and repression. Yeah. And and thanks to people who paid really high prices. You know, I worry about like having these hard conversations and ha- having people say things about, you know, my grandparents and, you know, that's that was one of my fears was having to have those conversations with people who would misunderstand my grandparents or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, there are people who paid much, much higher prices um, at the beginning of this movement to, Mm -hmm. and so I think, yeah, yeah. It's something that you just, sometimes you just have to face. I love, (laughs) I love it. Not that we have to, not the, the awfulness of facing it, but I've just loved that we are more acknowledging of all of it. I love that. No, I think, I think it's that's, good. That's the process. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's and way, it makes people, it makes people uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. but it's, it's not, that doesn't mean you shy away from it. It's still right to do it. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love it. Okay. We're going to, I have a few more questions. I would still love to dive into. I love that we've talked about so many great, amazing things and we're still, I want to still dive even more into the book um, <laughs> because because we have to. Uh, so we'll be really, we'll be back very quickly after this short break. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Hey, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash first of all podcast. If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform or just follow me on Instagram because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support and enjoy the show. um emily i've gotten to know you for like less than an hour but i just want to tell you i'm a huge fan and and i've also gotten to know you through your book so i'm a huge fan thank you thank you Um, same same very same oh thank you um with with the book you know i think that it's there was a lot that really spoke to me a lot that felt very historical we've talked about like 
the importance of like personal narrative and personal experience and then gone all the way to like talk about the political implications of what's happening right now in our society of like Mm -hmm. shutting down real conversations about this when I don't know. So Samantha, who is our protagonist, she's a photographer and we're leading up to the incarceration camps. So I thought the funny thing is when I understood that this was like the subject matter of the book of what I would be diving into, I didn't know that all of that. I don't want to be spoiler. Dang. I don't know how to say this without spoiling. The timing of the way that you, you share the story was really beautiful to me because I think it was very humanizing. It's just, again, why I think books books is books and film and everything. It's just a practice of empathy. You're diving into somebody else's world and you get to walk in their shoes. You get to feel their feelings and have the crushes that they, Oh my gosh, the crushes. I cannot get over like <laughs> the, the romantic journey you took me on. It was just wonderful. And like, I, I actually squealed, like I audibly squealed at certain <laughs> points. I was like, um, which we love. And that is such a great way again, to create empathy and compassion through a very fun way. That's why I think good books and good film and good stories do. Um, when you, yeah, like, I guess my big question is like, what, what was the statement or like, was there that part of intention when you're like, I'm going to put this out as a book and see what it can do out in the world. Yeah. I'm curious, like how that that component like played a part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, when I came back to it, uh-huh. uh, remember I said I started and then came back to it later. Yeah. Um, I think when I came back to it, I had things I wanted to speak to. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a different, um, it was a different process in a certain way because it was, I had, I had, I wouldn't say an agenda. I would say I had questions. Like I had questions that were really bothering me that I wanted to try to deal with. And, um, I don't know even then that I wanted that I had this idea that I would publish it. Like I, I really think there was a part of me that was like, I don't know that I will ever let anyone read this. Like this might just be for my, you know, my file box or whatever. Mm. But um, I think that was more me dealing with my own, my own issues, not um, anything that anyone else was saying, but um, yeah, there were things that I was dealing with. And then, you know, I, Things happened in the media and in the news, I guess, in real life. And then they got to the media and um, I had feelings about them. And I was like, you know what? This is so much like what uh, what my grandparents went through. So one of those was these detentions at the border. Yeah. Um, that was really, really, I think that was really triggering for all Japanese Americans. There were a bunch of groups that went down um, because, and there were some groups, there were some people who said, I can't go down it's too close. Like there were, mm. there were um, people who had been incarcerated, former incarcerees who it was just so, so close to what had happened to them. And, and, you know, there was the Muslim ban and mm-hmm. a bunch of these different things and something about all those things happening in a short period of time. I was just like, no, we really do need to still talk about these things. And, and, and this was my way of doing that. This, this book was to talk about the things, the way we treat each other, the way we, fail to see each other as fully human yeah the way we um forget that for every statistic every person who this happens to they have like all these hopes and dreams these things yeah. that are just so similar to what happened we had feel too yeah um and and so yeah that's why i wanted to put it out i thank you for doing that because i i think what 
it's like a liberation movement, if you will. Like my issues with different experiences in my life and with different people and maybe different ideas and ideologies, like they deserve their space to be like honored, if you will, through like the uncomfortable feelings. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay to be, it's okay to not be okay about it. You know? And like, Mm -hmm. that's, it's a thorn that we just try to keep working around. Like we'll just maneuver around it. This is from, um, the untethered soul by Michael Singer, Mm. but it's like talking about the ego and all this stuff. And it really, it hit a nerve with me because it's like, we'll have these pains that are wounds. And then instead Mm. of addressing the wound, just maneuver around it. Say you have something like sticking in you on your arm. Well, then you'll just not let your arm Mm. touch anything. You'll just do everything you can to like not disrupt that, that hurt. Mm. And you'll assimilate and you'll start walking differently and you'll start sitting differently so that it just doesn't disrupt the wound. And at some point, like it catches up. Cause what if you want to put on a jacket and like, what if you want to yeah. do anything? What if you want to go for a swim? You got to move your arm. It's going to like, it comes up again because you didn't yeah. address the thing. It's still there. Um, so in that way, like in Asian heritage month, like I'm constantly reminded and I've been immersed in the Asian American narrative, which I feel like, you mm-hmm. and I were talking before we recorded about the difference, like you lived in Utah where it's very different landscape, yeah. different narratives. I've grown up like, well, at least the last 15 years, like kind of drowning in the Asian American narrative. And yet as much as I get sometimes very tired of like harping over the same things, there's so much depth and nuance to it that I'm still constantly reminded, no, there's a lot more for us to still talk about. And even if I'm sick of talking about it, there's still so many other people that um, it's a brand new thing that they're discovering within themselves that they're like unpacking. So again, why I come back to like thanking you I'm big on like, and this sucks because it's been really sucky for me, but like accountability is mm-hmm. awful and it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's also the way and a gateway to like being free of mm-hmm. a lot of burdens, um, either keeping other people accountable or like whether it's the government, you know, or like mm-hmm. groups of people or like a parent, like, and self, right? Like mm-hmm. having accountability. Yeah. It's a very uncomfortable process to do that. It's so terrifying because you have to dress this wound and you have to uh, acknowledge this thing hurt me. It hurts now. I'm not mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not fine. Um, and that's really brave. It's just really brave because again, like we we're saying earlier before the break, like there's risk involved. You're risking a lot the like sanity that you've cultivated by maneuvering around it. Right. Like you, it's safer that way. It feels safer at least. And mm-hmm. it feels more peaceful. It feels more tranquil. It feels whatever until it's not. And then you just like have to speak on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, a long winded way of saying like, I, I truly appreciate the risk that you took to like put something very personal to you and not just you, like you're again, you feel like that you're putting your family story and like, inviting something that's not just about you you're inviting scrutiny of people that you care about deeply that's a big deal yeah yeah and while it's it is fiction but like yeah that is that was like the the fear is like having these people i love so dearly misunderstood yeah that's that's you know that's even worse than me being misunderstood you know like yeah when it's your fault you know like that Yeah. yeah yeah so how do yeah. you, with the banning thing, do you, has it been a thing that you're like, you're 
potentially dealing with, with like your, your book or the topics that you've covered. Cause you talk directly about racism and power and government. And like, yeah. that's, what's on the line right now. People don't yeah. know this is happening. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely like, if you look at the list of banned books, you know, it's all books that deal with race, mm-hmm. um, that have, you know, sometimes they don't deal with race, but they're just on a book of books by diverse writers or, um, they're, um, main characters are brown or whatever. Um, but, and then, and then sexuality and, mm-hmm. um, those, those kind of things, uh, those are all the books that are being banned. And there have been books about the internment. That's the old word for it. The incarceration is what people call it now. Yeah. Um, they, there have been books about it banned already. My book hasn't been banned knock on wood, but you know, um, but they are just, they are just anything about race right now is kind of in that category of things that could, could get put on one of those lists. So, yeah. Is yeah. that like, is that hanging over your head right now? Or is that, I mean, you're just going to kind of cross the bridge or is it? Yeah. I would say, I would say it hangs over my head in that like all authors right now, it's like on our minds. It's mm. something that like is sort of in the ether that we drink and it's just, you know, it just, bothers you know it just it feels wrong um as far as like my own book I I honestly have not spent a lot of time worrying about it because there is just nothing I can do you know Mm -hmm. there's if it happens it will happen and um I you know I hope it doesn't but if it does then it does and you know I just I don't want to give that kind of power yeah to people um those kind of those kind of groups so I just try not to worry about it. I kudos to you. In turn, I'll worry about it and <laughs> not worry about it. I'll be concerned and very loud about it and maybe yeah. reactionary, but we'll yeah. see. I, I just, it ends. I just like for, for you to know more about me. Like I grew up in a really strict church culture <laughs> and um, I just want to say like, my take on all of this, and I wonder what it'll be if and when I become a parent, right? But I'm mm-hmm. an auntie now to many youngsters. The more you tell a kid they can't do something, the more you're really yeah. just driving them to do it. So I think the whole band thing is is really hilarious because are you joking me? Like, is that going to, you're literally baiting now, like, all these, yeah, you're going to make the teenagers be like, I'm not reading that. Like, oh, they don't want me to read it. I'm going to go, that'll be the first thing they go by. So good luck on that. Um, but it's also just this, like, it's driving me crazy. The older I get, how much people across many different industries in different ways, like just they're trying to control narratives. Right. Yeah. And like when talking about books, especially something like you wrote, you're talking about a moment in history. It's a work of fiction, but it's mm-hmm. in circumstances that really happen. And there are historical yeah. elements that people are trying to wipe out. Yeah. Like just act like didn't happen. Yeah. I think also, you know, I just, you know, here in Utah, um, I feel like the things that are getting banned most are things about um, gay characters or transgender characters. And mm-hmm. Um, I think it, and also there's some race element to it, but um, I think, you know, for kids who are, um, who identify with those identifications, it is so, it is such a, a painful thing to have people saying, um, 
these books are so bad that they need to be on this list of books yep. that no one should ever be able to access. Like if you're already living in yeah. Utah where, you know, it again, like you said, like there's a, there's a religious culture here, you know, and mm-hmm. you're already dealing with um, that kind of uh, prejudice. And then to have on top of that, this conversation going on, it's, it's, it really is um, problematic. And, and, you know, kids need to be able to see themselves in books. And I think that's seems that's such a overly said thing now, but it's because we really need people to understand that. Um, Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really problematic and it's saying effectively to other kids, um, you don't need to have that experience that gives you empathy for that kind of person. You know, that, that's so true. It's, it's really, it's really, um, so true, really ugly. So. Yeah, that's that's how I feel anyway. And I know, you know, obviously parents have to decide for them for their own children what to allow them to read. But I think it's it's a much um, more fraught conversation when you start up to apply it to a whole school district or yeah to a whole school. Yeah, so I I think sometimes my separation from being a kid is so. I mean, every day it gets bigger, right? But like that to put myself back in that state of like what I consumed or what, what signals I was receiving mm-hmm. right from different points of authority mm-hmm. about what, like how much that impacted my understanding and possibility that I allowed myself and what I believed my role to be and what I believed was good and, you know, how to be mm-hmm. a very agreeable, obedient, you know, quiet, mm-hmm. which I'm yeah. not. Um, <laughs> and that's, those are friction points, right? Because I was just like, what's so wrong with like me saying what I want to say? Mm. How come he can say it and I can't, you know, yeah. and it was very specific to me in my growing years that, that I'm a girl and that mm-hmm. girls, I was literally told this by multiple adults in my life. Like girls are not supposed to yell yeah. like that or like say things like that. Da, da, da. Which again, only for me and my personality spurned me on to like, okay, then I'm going to do more. Yeah. Dick. I I got very like, this is the rebel side of me that I didn't even like think was rebellious, but, but that still causes a wound, right? I mean, it's still, yeah. And, and then there are kids too, who, you know, instead it just produces shame and turning inwards and yeah. Which turns into behaviors, right? Like this is the public health. I was the, I, I, I studied public health of like really about how environment shapes behaviors Mm -hmm. and what are health outcomes as a result of those behaviors. Is it addiction? Is it whatever young pregnancy when you're not ready or like poverty, all these different things. There's so many factors that go into why we do the things that we do. I'm fascinated by humanity. Um, so I, I'm very curious how this will go because like the whole Bookman thing that started, it was really just the loudest in Florida, but I, it's gone to Texas right now yeah. or it's like spreading. And I mean, I, yeah, it's everywhere. it's everywhere. And it's not everywhere, but it's, um, but it, it's, it's throughout the United States now. And I mean, uh, Florida definitely has the most like support from the state, you know, government, and, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a movement and yeah. It's a scary one, in my opinion, that we've seen that we've seen so many times before. I mean, this is not new. This is not this is not we haven't seen this ever go well. I mean, and it's so interesting to me how people will like be like, um, you know, this is like this. It's tied to 
democracy in some way or something when what we've seen it over and over be um tied to you know fascist um you know i i we've seen it over and over happen this way like in china and germany so i don't know it's 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 scary it is it is um i'd say because the two of us have come from backgrounds where people preferred greatly for us to be quiet about a lot of things. <laughs> to me, poetically speaking, in, th- in the story, in our narrative, it makes the most sense. Like, I've genuinely wondered over the years, like, why are you so threatened by what I have to say? That mm-hmm. also, like, you are so hellbent on stifling my voice or, like, you're so perturbed by what I have to say, my opinion, that, like, I finally started to really see, like, there's a lot of power in what I have to say. And a lot mm-hmm. of times the truth or at least a different version of like the truth that somebody would like to believe can be a really big threat to different people in power. And I started to really question why I had questions too. Like, why, Mm -hmm. why is this such a big deal? Why are you putting so much effort, so much emotional rage? And like, you know, you're so, so determined to snuff certain narratives that to me now at this point speaks volumes of like the power of those narratives. Why? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to unpack there. And we we've already like, Kind of, I know that you have to go to your next thing, which I'm so sad, but like, I'm just glad that uh, hopefully we're, we're continuing to continue conversations or ignite conversations, especially in people that have had fear and that have had hesitation because um, yeah. there's strength in numbers and there are support systems. And yeah. I, I do think every conversation counts, whether that's mm-hmm. a personal one, it doesn't have to be public anywhere. Or if it's so much for like, there's so much power in someone who's usually quiet again, like amongst all the writers, different creatives, when the quiet person finally speaks up, that's, there's mm-hmm. some, like, there's some big back there because yeah. it took a lot for them to like, finally say something. So yeah. I hope that my loud mouthedness kind of helps bring people like you into the, into the, my universe and like, can share this in some kind of a platform to share our truths Yeah, yeah, and make sure that they're not snuffed out. Um, well, I think you're, amazing. you're really, really good at that in many things that you do. <laughs> like you're not just in the podcast, but in a lot of ways, you're, you're Thank someone you. who amplifies voices. So Thank yeah, you. So. I appreciate Thank that. <laughs> it's finally, we'll get into that another day. Cause we'll hang out for sure. Emily, because <laughs> I had so, people really trying really, really hard to snuff me out oh. and I'll never forget that. And glad I just, you didn't let him. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad too. And I need reminded, like, yeah, it, it can be a privilege. To it. It's a privilege and it's it's all the things. It's responsibility. It's an opportunity. It's a blessing. It's a curse. It's a lot of things. Um, but we're here. And yeah. I'm just so excited. I hope that everybody will go. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show everyone. Can I show them on the cover? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I have the, it's the not for sale. It's the uncorrected proof. But That's okay. <laughs> beneath the wide silk style. I should have opened with this, but I didn't want to like, well, everyone, please go read this book. Um, and I hope it's the first of, are you working on another piece? I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the beginning. It's just it's so beautiful. I won't spoil it, but there are things that I just like trust. I was like, I was so happy. And in, in addition, it's not. Cause I don't want anybody to think I was just ready for my heart to be wrecked. And there, it was, there's, there's hard things that you talk about it. That's, but that's the scope of humanity. So I just don't want anybody to be um, swayed that like, it's about incarceration. It's not about incarceration. It's about humanity. It's about a beautiful young woman who's trying to figure her life out and stand up for herself and 
deal with really hard things. That's what it's about. And so that journey was beautiful. It was moving. It elicited squeals. I got really angry at times. I got really, you know, a lot of things. And that's what I think a good story does. So I just want to say that about your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're too nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I respect the I respect the process. And before we wrap up, three quick questions I ask all my okay. guests before we uh, go. Um, what are you grateful for today, Emily? Um, my kids. <laughs> That's a boring answer, but true. <laughs> How many do you have? I have four. <gasps> Working woman. I love it. Working mama. Um, what are you looking forward to? This is so oh, surfing. <laughs> I just, it's, we're getting to summer and I'm, I'm excited to. That's amazing. Water. <laughs> I'm very scared of surfing. So good for you. I hope you have fun. <laughs> um, and what are the last words that you want to leave all of our listeners say? And everyone's watching on YouTube because it's on, we're on video now, which is crazy. Mm. Let's see. I should have thought about this since you do I this. I, I should have thought about this. Last words. Um, well, just going in with what we talked about, you know, um, I think that everyone has stories to tell and that all those stories are important and valid and that the more stories that are out there from lots of different perspectives, the better our um, common library will be at um, reflecting what humanity really is. So yeah beautifully <laughs> said beautifully said thank, thank you, you so for much. having me yeah and yeah really it's appreciate my honor it. no this is we're great American author and you know it's just so, such a this is an honor for me so thank you for joining and thank I'll you. definitely talk to you soon if I'm okay. ever if you're ever in LA we're hanging out that would be great I would love that thank okay. you so much thanks Emily <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All, Owning the Narrative with Emily Inouye-Huey, author of Beneath the White Silk Sky. I hope you guys check out our book. It is for children and teens, but I'm a grown woman and I enjoyed that book so much. It's a beautiful story, beautifully written, very meaningful. And learn a little bit about Asian American history. It is APAM. Happy APAM. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, because I probably did not mention it clearly or at all in the last episode... We have a YouTube channel. We have video now with all of our authors. Should have included that in the intro. But yeah, there is a link in the description for the conversation. So if you want to go listen to this again or watch it or see Emily in person, we have video of, first of all, please be kind. I like it's not high quality production. I know that there's so many really snazzy podcasts out there, but your girl is working hard on being a filmmaker. I'm doing the best I can to like stay afloat and do my jobs and my voiceover work and all that stuff. Um, so I don't have the best setup. Please be kind. You can also check out Gina's episode. It's all there. Um, it's on YouTube. And you can also just like Google it, like YouTube, first of all, podcast. So yeah, that is, that's there for you guys to enjoy. Please subscribe. That's so weird. I have a YouTube channel now. That's very bizarre. But here we are. And uh, thank you to Emily. Again, I will link uh, everything. If you guys want to follow her work, please do keep up with all the different works that she's going to put out after this. This is just the beginning of her author journey. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you to my producer, Tong Kim. And thank you to Juliana Deer, my social media manager. I love you guys so much. Thank you for supporting me in this wonderful, crazy, twisting endeavor. 
I thought of Twisting Road and then just said Twisting Endeavor, and that means, like, it's weird. So sorry for that. I'm really tired. Um, I'm still recovering from travels. Also, my short film, when you listen to this, my short film will have premiered. When I'm recording this, it has not premiered yet, and I'm starting to be nervous. It's been a weird process to process that we made a thing and that people are going to watch it in a theater because... It'll be a cool thing. I I will figure out a way to reveal the short. I want to share it with all of you guys. Like, I want it to premiere first and then figure out where it will live after. But I want to wait. I also want to explain it because, yeah, anyway, we'll figure that out later. But just a heads up that it will be shared somehow. Maybe we'll just do it in a podcast episode and do a live stream and, like, watch it all together. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm, like, ideating on air. Anyway, that's forthcoming. Um, I'm re reconfiguring my website. So it's first of all pod.com. I know it needs a lot of work and I'm working on it. And I want to share more stuff with you guys. I want to get back to like what I enjoyed as a young person and brought me like genuine happiness and creative activity. And part of that, like I was a huge Zanga blogger. And I do want to bring that back. I don't know. It's this freedom of like who I am and what I like and what I want to share with people. Um, I had these like false starts so many times, but I really want to do that. So more of these things will be shared there. If you guys want to follow along with that, I will be moving to a new format soon. So just keep up with the updates if you'd like. And you can follow me on Instagram at Minjeezy and at First of All Pod and keep all up to date there. Um, we'll share everything so you guys can follow along and see this twisting endeavor that I what is that? What did I even say? Twisting endeavor. Anyway, our intro music was provided by Uzuhan, his song Uzu Trap. This week's outro is by Melissa Polinar because I freaking adore her and she writes the best love songs. And in honor of Beneath the Wide Silk Sky, we got to have a beautiful song called Another Universe for you guys to enjoy. So Melissa made this with the legend Jeremy Passion and also with Glenn Lumanta. And the song is just absolutely gorgeous. So I hope you enjoy. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast in any fashion, feel free to go to firstofallpod.com. There are links there. If you'd like to say hi, send me a question, whatever you want to say, firstofallpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to, yeah, become a Patreon member, etc., all the links are there. I am running out of brain cells and I don't know how to end this. I just love you guys. I hope you guys are well. Be good to yourselves. Be good to others. Enjoy life. It's short. Just seize the day. Just do it. Love big. Dream big. I'm going to bed. I love all of you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. 
Peace. Peace.